It's going to be a good day. Hey, we're wrapping up this series today, Who is God? And again, just shameless plug for this series because uh, I think it's, it's necessary for everybody, whether you're a skeptic or whether you're a Christian, to really come to grips with who God actually claimed to be. So go back and watch this series if you missed any of the weeks. It started January 14th. Um, and uh, catch up on it because it's good. And uh, um, I, one of the things that we considered week one of this series was uh, what A.W. Tozer said about our view of God. He says, when it comes, what comes to our mind when we think about God is actually the most important thing about us. And you wrestle with that a little bit and you're like, well, is that, we could go back and forth and you may not think that's even true. I mean, it's one man's opinion. Uh, smart man. I, I, I think he's great. Um, but we could go back and forth on whether or not this is true. But I would argue that even if this is just, if, if God's just, your view of God is, is even in the top five, like, things in your life, the most important things in your life, uh, which I would argue that it definitely is, um, I don't think we give it its just due. Like, we don't give it the time it actually requires to, uh, required to actually... Uh, in our own minds, like, discover who it is that God uh, claimed to be. And when I, when I go around, and the reason why I say that, I grew up in church circles, and I've been around church um, people for a long time. And um, one of the things I've noticed is that our view of God, it kind of sucks sometimes. Like, it's just not great. Either we have a view of, like, some God, uh, God that's, like, weak and powerless and uninvolved and, and he's not really at work or doing anything in, in our midst, or we have just a blatantly wrong view of God. When you align it to Scripture, because what happens is people start saying, like, well, this is who I think God is, and then you talk to someone else and they're like, well, this is who I think that God is, and we got these preconceived notions of who uh, we think God should be, so they skew our version uh, of God, and, and there's a lot of people just walking around with a view of God because I feel like uh, when we, uh, you know, you go to church for any sort of uh, period of time, and you kind of develop this view of God, and then you're like, finally, I got it. Like, it's down. I'm not going to read anything that will ever challenge me on this. I'm not going to read any more of the Bible. Like, I got it from my chapter or whatever. I'm like, this is who God is. And, and we kind of sell ourselves short in discovering who the God of the Bible uh, really is. And he's complex, um, so it's not exactly uh, an easy endeavor, um, but it's a worthwhile endeavor to really see who the God of the Bible is. And, and the reality is all of us, whether you're a Jesus person or not, when it comes to approaching God, whether it's like approaching, if you're, if you're a Christian, if it's approaching God in a new way or you, maybe you want to know him more, um, or if you're a skeptic and you're just not even a Jesus person and you're like, I want to see what this whole God thing is about, nobody approaches God or faith without bias. Why? Because we were all raised in different households. We were all raised in different cultures. We had different uh, things happen to us in our upbringing. We had uh, different life experiences. We have different views on everything. And, and we, we can't fool ourselves into thinking the same isn't true with our view of God. The reality is all of us, every single one of us, we all have an autonomy bias, which means we like to be in control. Every one of us, we're born that way. We want to be in the driver's seat. We can't stand things that involve us giving up control. So when we approach a perfect, all-powerful God, and we're like, you know, we, we, we know in our minds, like, we can't uh, hold a candle to this God. We can't possibly, like, say, my ways are above your ways, God. And so we, uh, we approach him, and we're, we're never not biased when we approach him. 
And so the idea of, of handing over control or surrendering to this superior being, like it's just, it's just kind of foreign to us. And so when anything comes up against that autonomy bias, when anything comes up against um, uh, us, you know, having control in our lives, we're going to push back. And what we do is we seek to actually make a God of our own liking, a God of our own comfort, a God that doesn't challenge the ways that we think or the, the things that we do. We'd rather have a version of God that we can control, that we can put in a box, and that he could just stay in this comfortable place where we can just fully explain him, fully know him, and, and not have him kind of control us. So we, we never approach God without bias. So that's why I think it's important during the series to really discover who the God of the Bible is, to, to, to let go of our bias and to say, God, whatever, whoever it is that you are, whoever it is that you claim to be, I'm going to just accept it for what it is. And, and I'm going to put the bias aside uh, for now. It's an important thing as we approach God. So my purpose during this series is that if you're a skeptic, if you're not sure about the whole Jesus thing, that you'd be able to accept God or to reject God on who he actually claimed to be. Not just the God that you learned about when your grandma drug you to church as a kid, right? Not just the God that you heard, um, you know, the, the, that you heard that Christians serve or that maybe you had a bad experience with some Christians and you're like, if that's what God people are like, if that's what Jesus people are like, I want nothing to do with them. I want you to be able to accept God or to reject God on the basis of who he actually claimed to be, not just your skewed view of him. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus person, you're like, yeah, I'm on team Jesus. I don't care if you've been a Christian for one hour or 100 years. Like, I, 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 I don't think we're, we're ever exempt from, like, uh, this side of heaven from, from, from totally knowing who God is or not having a skewed view of who God is. And so you may have followed Jesus for 80 years, and you're like, I know exactly who he is and exactly how he'll act in every situation, but your view of God may not line up with the God of Scripture. So that's what we're going to discover during this series. Uh, if you're a Jesus person, my hope is that you would um, come to know God on a level uh, that would be beneficial to you and to your family, um, that you would live in the light of the real, true, and living God. As uh, Paul says in Ephesians, he's talking about this equipping, this growth that Christians need to undergo. Um, he, says, he says this growth, it will continue until we've come to such a unity in our faith. And here we are with this knowledge piece. It's not a saving knowledge. I'm not saying that you have to come to this knowledge to, to know God at a personal level. I'm just saying when you don't come to this place of knowledge of God's Son, we are easily tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. So when we come to this place, we will not be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. And how many of us know there's a lot of winds of new teaching going to and fro throughout the earth right now? And he says, we will not be influenced at this point when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. And the enemy's number one method, his number one weapon is a lie. You know, the things that pass the sniff test, that get past our first line of defenses, we're like, yeah, that checks out. That, that sounds like it could be God. And that's when he gets in, you know, he gets that foothold. So uh, I want to be a, a church, I want to be a group of people that aren't tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching and not tricked by lies so clever they sound like truth. So let's come to this place of knowledge of God and who he claimed to be. And so I want to pray for us as we jump into it. Father, God, I ask you to have your way in every heart and mind here this morning. You speak through me, God, that uh, your words through me would be fall on receptive ears. That you'd have your way in our hearts, Lord. Speak to us. Help us to be more like you. Help us to understand you more. God, help us not to be tricked with lies so clever that they sound like truth. 
Jesus' name, amen. So we've gone throughout the series and uncovered a lot of who God revealed himself to be. But so much of this still uh, seems to be a mystery. And I'm just going to let you in. We're not going to fully explain God uh, during the series. I mean, you can't. Uh, He's that vast. But we can know the parts that he revealed to us and how that plays into our lives. So so much of it still seems to be a mystery. And the last mystery that we're tackling uh, during this series is this big part of God's nature, the fact that God is three, but he's also one. Three and one. You're like, yeah, math doesn't check out. Uh, it's a little bit confusing. And it's actually a lot of bit confusing. People have been compl- or confused about this, this idea of a trinity, right, for, you know, since, since they figured it out, like, or they thought they figured it out. People have argued about this. People have split up over this. There's been heresies started. People have probably died for it and all this stuff. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And so we get into this idea that, that God is the Father. We have the Father, right? You know, that's, that's when we read the Old Testament, oftentimes uh, it's God the Father, even though he's not, maybe not referenced that way as much until the New Testament. But we have God the Father, we have the Son, a.k.a. Jesus, and then we got the Holy Spirit. So we got these three essences, but they also make up the, the person of God. And again, um, this Trinity stuff gets confusing really quick, and it can get even more confusing when you're like, why does any of it even matter? Like, how does it affect me? And it can be this frustrating thing. You're like, why are we even talking about this today? And I promise, there's some powerful truth within it. So we have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're, they're all equal, but they also have unique roles. And, and they don't all do the same thing. And, and so that's what we know uh, so far. So how do we get to this point of the Trinity? Because when you read the Old Testament, uh, you just see, like, usually God. It's like sometimes referred to as the angel of the Lord. You're like, okay, I'll let that one slide. But it's like usually just God or Yahweh. Remember when a few weeks ago when he revealed his name, he says, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. And he like revealed his name Yahweh to them. So you're just like, okay, so there's this Yahweh, there's this God, he's the one that's powerful. And he led the Israelites out of Egypt and he did all these incredible miracles, all this stuff. He chose to, to, to bind himself to an imperfect people group, the Israelites, to start his rescue plan for all of humanity through them. You're like, I can get with that God guy. I, I understand that. That makes sense. But how do we get in, in the Old Testament? He's mostly referred to as, as just God. So how do we get to this place of the Trinity? And so when Jesus comes onto the scene in the New Testament, um, the gospel writer Mark actually goes into this, and he starts talking about this revelation of Jesus, this Jesus that showed up, um, who was, we talked about last week again, he's God's character in a body. He's like grace incarnated. He came to the world to, in his ult, God's ultimate act of grace to save the world. He does this powerful thing. And so I want to look at these three instances of Mark where we kind of establish that there is a trinity. So Mark 1.10, very early on, this Mark is uh, regarded as the first gospel account of Jesus' life. And, and so we see where he's, there's three persons mentioned here. Um, this is Jesus going down to get baptized by John the Baptist. If you ever want to get baptized by someone, find someone with the last name Baptist. They'll probably certainly do it for you. Um, Jesus came up out of the water, and he saw the heavens splitting apart, and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. So you have now Jesus, and you have the Holy Spirit here, and then in verse 11, a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Wow. The father here is now doting on his son. 
So we have all three elements here. The Spirit, then, this is the Holy Spirit again, then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness. And so you start seeing a glimpse of like, okay, so what are their unique roles? It's like God is lavishing love. Uh, you're not really sure what baptism means uh, completely at this point because it's pre-Jesus' death, but he's doing something. The Spirit then is compelling and leading Jesus into the wilderness. And, and I love the Holy Spirit in this light. I mean, again, we try to explain things and all this stuff, but to me, he's kind of like Jiminy Cricket on Pinocchio a little bit, right? He's like, let, always let your conscience be your guide. He's like, look, this is where you're supposed to go next. And even to Jesus, he's doing this. And you're like, what? They're like co-equal, but they're like brothers or what? And he's listening to them. And, but he's also Jesus, and he's like following the spirit. I'm like, that's a powerful spirit. Like, that's a big deal. And it says uh, in Mark 7 or 9-7, we go a little bit further. Uh, this is in the transfiguration. Jesus walks up on this mountain. There's all this crazy stuff happening. A cloud overshadows them. And a cloud in the Old Testament was, was often what God's presence traveled in. So God's presence like shows up there and a voice from heaven says so clearly, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. We've got the father again lavishing his love and also establishing that this is indeed my son and that you should listen to the words he says. No kidding. Uh, Mark 15 this is at the moment of, of Jesus' death, his crucifixion. He's hanging up on the cross. And it says, Jesus uttered another loud cry, and he breathed his last breath. And the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn into two, which goes into this like crazy, crazy bit that we're not going to go into today. But it's, it's, it's so powerful what happens in this moment. From top to bottom, it says, and when the Roman officer, this is crazy, the Roman officer who stood facing him, saw how he had died, he exclaimed in this great confession of faith. He says, this man truly was the son of God. You're like, I mean, really, we can read this in our modern American culture, again, with our own bias, and we're like, well, yeah, that's what Romans did. No, that's not what Romans did. This guy was a Roman centurion. He was a professional killer. Like he was, he was probably tasked with this, you know, once a week or however often they did, they crucified these revolutionaries that were trying to overthrow Rome oftentimes. And he looks at this guy and he says, truly this man was the son of God. What does he know? He probably doesn't know anything. The first thing about the God of the Jews or whatever. But he looks and he says the way he died led him to believe. I don't know if it was just miraculous or he saw something in the spirit. Or he saw the humility that Jesus carried. And he looked at these guilty men who were clearly guilty. And you're like, this man's truly innocent. And you saw how the Jews mocked him and, the, and they beat him. Like all this stuff happened. And he's like, he died. And he actually truly was who, what is said about him. He truly is the son of God. So now we have this kind of trinity established. There's three of them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all present in the first gospel in the New Testament. So we got three of them. Great. It's kind of neat. Like, what do we do with them now? Like, again, we, we want to we make them make sense to us. We want to make them portable, right? So we grab an egg. We're like, the Trinity, Holy Spirit, Father, Son. It's kind of like an egg, Right? You got the shell. It's like that's God the Father kind of holding it all together because we hear about him first, maybe. You got the yoke. It's Jesus because he was a baby. You know, it's an embryo, I guess. The Holy Spirit is kind of the egg white. It's kind of like it's, it's got a purpose. You're not always sure what it is, but it's just kind of in the middle of everything. This essence, spirit kind of in there. You're like, maybe, oh, Trinity's like an egg, right? Father, Son, 
Holy Spirit all together. This helps us understand the Trinity. Then you, all analogies break down. This one's going to break down real quick, I promise. What just happened? All right. So get rid of the father over here. Hopefully that's not like sacrilegious. I don't know. (laughs) What do you have? What is this? It's an egg. Where'd the father go? He gone. Right? He's, but you can't have God without the Father. You just have the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's not God anymore. Again, all analogies break down. I could take the yoke. I, I broke it, so I can't do that now. I could take the yoke out. And um, most of you may say, well, it's an egg yoke that's left. But you'd still probably refer to it as an egg. So it's just the sun, and it's not God anymore. So this analogy doesn't really hold up. And, and, and then you could do the same thing. You grab a you know, glass of water, and you're like, oh, okay, H2O. I didn't really do very well in chemistry, so I know that's two hydrogen or two oxygen. I don't know which one it is. Someone's got it. Two hydrogens? Okay. Two hydrogens and oxygen. That's kind of like a trinity. There's three of them. And, and water can be a solid, a liquid, and a gas. Trinity, right? No, because what happens when you boil water? It evaporates. So you got, well, if you're going to call the sun water, it evaporates and turns into the Holy Spirit. It's like, nah, Trinity doesn't do that. Like, it doesn't change. You know, the Father doesn't become the Son. The Son doesn't become the Holy Spirit. Like, it's still more complicated than that. So we, we try again in, in all our might to kind of explain away, like, exactly how can we make this make sense to us? And I'm just going to tell you, it's not going to make sense. It's okay. I just drank some of the sun. That's Analogies break down. I mean, are those even helpful analogies? I don't feel like they are. People, again, for throughout history, we've been trying to explain away the Trinity or explain the Trinity in a way that is portable and, and tangible and that we can kind of control and explain. And so I look at all this, I'm like, can we just stop? Can we just not do that whole thing? Can we not bicker and argue about, like, you know, the elements and how they all interact and all this stuff and, and what it all means and all this stuff? But look, I want to focus instead. I think this is, this is a better use of our time. I'm so practical. I'm practical beyond practical. Like, I, I just want to know, like, not selfishly, but what's in it for me? How does it affect me and my world and this world that he created? Let's focus on why it, or how it affects us and how it is that it's significant. And uh, when I think about this, I'm a sucker for, well, the creation story is incredible. You go back to the creation account. And I'm like, there's so much going on in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you begin to read this, and you're like, there is so much imagery, so much beauty, so many things. It's intricate. It's, again, you could spend a whole lifetime studying just Genesis 1 and, and all the different possibilities and what it all means and all this stuff. And so when I look at it, I'm like, I'm kind of confused in Genesis 1 a bit. And, and, and for me, uh, I, I love whodunit movies. Anybody else? Like those whodunit movies, they draw me in. I'm a sucker for whodunit movies. There was this movie that came out in like 2000 uh, called Memento with Guy Pierce. Have you guys seen that? That's a good movie. That's a good movie. So um, it basically, you know, his, his, I haven't seen it in years, but uh, his, wife's, his wife died and she was killed. And, and he's like going back and he's like trying to figure out what happened. He's also got this weird, rare disease where he can't remember um, things like day in and day out. So he's like leaving himself clues and notes. And the whole movie is like a mystery. He's trying to go back and trail back and figure out exactly what happened to his wife. And it just, it just gets me. 
I love the show Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch and, and uh, Simon Pegg. Like, phenomenal acting, phenomenal show. And, and it always starts out with a mystery, right? And the whole movie is you uncovering, or the whole show is you uncovering exactly how it all happened. And at the beginning, it doesn't make any sense. And when you get to the end, you're like, ah, okay, okay, I get it. I'm even, like, ultra nerding out right now watching Star Trek The Next Generation. That's a deep dive. It did not age well, but I'm, I'm powering through it. My, my wonderful wife is powering through it with me, even though she didn't grow up on it like I did. Um, but there's a lot of those episodes that are like that. It's like, it's a mystery, and it's like uncovering each and every step. And I, so I look at the account of creation, and it's like, I want to do that. I want to know what's going on. And believe it or not, the Trinity actually helps us understand exactly what's going on in Genesis chapter 1. And, and again, when I say like first reading through the Old Testament, you're like, there's just kind of this guy named God there most of the time. But as we look in light of the New Testament and Jesus, and we go back, we're like, oh, we can see it through this lens. He was there all along. Like, it was there all along. So we go just the second verse in the entire Bible, Genesis 1-2. It says this, the earth was formless and empty. The darkness covered the depths of the water. This scene is just, it's crazy. And what was happening? The spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Is that God? Well, yes, kind of, but not also. There's some Trinity stuff going on here. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The spirit was present at creation. We fast forward just to Genesis 1:26, and we see this. God said after he created the, the, you know, the, the waterfalls and the trees and like all this crazy stuff going on in all his creation, he comes to his greatest bit of creation, people, image bearers, people made in the image of this Trinitarian God, this three-in-one God. And he says this, let us, wait a second, who's us? Let us make human beings in our image. Who's this us? Has God got a personality disorder or is there like something going on here? Right? Let's make him in our image to be like us. That's, there's multiple people present. There's multiple entities creating creation and people and we're made in the image. I mean, this is crazy. And then John 1.1, 1, 1, he goes back and after the life of Jesus recounts creation. He says it so beautifully and so poetically. And he says, in the beginning, the word already existed. You're like, well, what's that? That's not a person, is it? The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through the word. I thought God created everything. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him, this word. And there's, again, a lot going on here in, in Greek philosophy at the time. Again, this was written in Greek. Um, you see that uh, the, the word, or this, this word logos, in uh, the Greek actually was kind of the reason that gave order to the world. This was their word for like, this was their way of explaining that which could not be explained in their philosophy. And, and, and John is like drawing on this. He's like, guess what? Uh, the word is more than you think it is. Or he, it's, it's real, but it's just like you're misinterpreting it a little bit. Let me tell you about the real word. And he goes on to say in, in verse 14, after he's going through this whole thing about the word, says, so the word became human. I love another version says the word became flesh. and made his home among us. Who's he talking about? He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Again, we talked about the character of God last week and how Jesus is the incarnation of this character, unfailing love 
and faithfulness was made human. The Son of God, Jesus. And we've seen, this, we've seen his glory, the glory of fa- the Father's one and only Son. So this word, which through whom God created the entire world, was the person of Jesus. I mean, this is crazy. Again, going all the way back to creation now, John's summarizing it so beautifully for us. And you think, okay, great. There's a trinity. Again, God, Jesus is incredible. He's, 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 he's God's, the character of God, the Trinitarian God, the triune God, the three-in-one God made flesh. And that's a beautiful thing in and of itself. But you still think, well, how does it all play into our life today? Why does this matter? And I'll pull up an image here to help us understand it maybe a little bit better. I think this is the best image that I can get that actually helps explain it. So we got a lot going on here. We got the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the three corners of this triangle. Um, We have, okay, so the Son is not the Holy Spirit, but is in the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Father is not the Son, but is in the Holy Spirit, right? So we got this, and, and all of them is God or are God. They come together to make up God. But, and again, that's like, okay, we're just explaining it away. But what I want to focus on, and I think this is where the practicality comes into all of it. We see the Son glorifying the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit glorifying the Father. And the Father, of course, as he said, this is my dearly loved Son. He's glorifying his Son. Why is this significant? When we think about this, before the earth was created and humanity was just like a, 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 a dream, right? Before any of this was created, this trinity, this triune God, this three-in-one God existed before it all, right? This eternal, uncreated being that we can't understand who's three-in-one, it existed in perfect, other-centered love. And this is big. So the Trinity means that God is other-centered, focused outward, right? You see the different elements glorifying each other, encouraging each other, loving each other. They're completely focused outward. They're not just here to say, take, 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 gimme, gimme, gimme. They're focused outward. We're created in that image. And this is crazy. Out of this outward-focused love, this triune, three-in-one God created people, again, to be like him, him in his image. And this is powerful. So you, you ask this, this age-old question, well, why was I created? What am I doing here? You're created to reflect the Trinity, to be like him. You're made in his image to be like him, not to be him, but to be like him. We were created by a, a God that's full of unfailing love. He's overflowing with love, and out of that overflowing of love, he created us. Ah, this is good news. He didn't create us because he was bored or he was hoping for some minions to, like, worship him because he needed a friend or whatever. He, he didn't need any of that. He had everything. Remember, we talked about a couple weeks ago, God is self-sustaining. He's self, like, he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. This is actually good news. It's because he created us because this is his nature to be outward focused. And again, you understand this. Love requires an object. You can't just love in general. You have to love something or someone. Love requires an object. And again, he had 
the objects in and of himself, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, glorifying, loving each other for all eternity in perfect, other-centered love. And so we're made in this image, and you're like, well, why aren't we more loving? It's a good question. Why aren't we more loving? Everything in our sinful nature, everything in our flesh, stands in stark contrast to this whole idea. We're born selfish. My goodness, have you ever seen a baby? Eat, poop, sleep, gimme, gimme, gimme. That's a little bit of a joke. I mean, they, they can't really help themselves. But when they're two, they can. And guess what? They learn the word mine pretty quick. Mine, me, it's for me. I want it. And, you know, not with my own kids because they're in here this morning, but other people's kids, I've seen it. I've seen it a lot. Y'all's kids are selfish. It's like they want to take, take, take. It's all about me, me, me. And anything that stands in the way of that, oh, watch out. I mean, we are, we are like wired in our sinful, in our flesh. We are wired to be self-focused. And again, it's this take, take, take mentality. And so when you think about the reality of a three-in-one God, a triune God that is outward-focused, and we are made in his image to reflect that, that we too were actually designed to be other-centered. Our purpose in life, which is one of the things that we're looking for most of all throughout history, our purpose in life is to be focused on others. That's hard. That's reality. That's good news. And instead of being designed to take, 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 to self-gratify, to fulfill my own needs, we're actually designed to give Give, give. And as I look around at our culture, especially talking about American culture, like this whole idea that we will fulfill our desires and our purposes and our, uh, the longings of our heart by just accumulating and filling up time and, and things and, and, and all of it for me, me, me actually leaves you more empty and wanting. I mean, it's so clear. And you see it all the time with, with celebrities and people who made it to the top, people that we would just aspire to be, and we'd like, oh, I would love to have that life. And then it's like, oh my gosh, they're struggling. And, and so it's like, I mean, you can, you can tally up, you know, the celebrities and the famous people that commit suicide every year, and you're just like, what? They seemingly had everything. They had it all. They had the money, the fame, the, the women, like whatever. It's like they had all that, yet they still found themselves wanting. It's like this take, take, take mentality won't actually fulfill you. And we see because we were made in the image of a triune, a three-in-one God that we were actually designed meticulously to be outward focused. Again, when we come to this place of knowledge of God and his son, we're not li- tricked with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Maybe the most tricky lie out there is that if you just take, build, and grow for yourself, you'll be happy. That's not there. I, I can tell you, I, I'm, now I can say, well, I've traveled the world. I've been to Africa once and Norway once, and that counts for something. And I, I've seen it in, in different cultures. 
And the people that I've met that are most fulfilled are the ones that aren't just take, take, take for themselves. They're the ones that pour out their lives and that all they can ever talk about are others and how they've helped other people, not to, not to brag on themselves, but just because their conversations are just filled with talking about others and the goodness of God and the people's lives that they've interacted with. And it's such a beautiful thing. And oftentimes these people have nothing. And I'm like, wow, they, they have nothing by our standards, but they have something that we don't understand. They have this realization that they were made in the image of a God that is outward focused, that is other centered. And this is good news. So I wanna talk about this real quick. How does this affect us in different areas of our life? And I think it's powerful. Um, when I think about how it affects us and when we're school age, right? So for those of us, you may, maybe you're in grade school, um, middle school, high school, college, or whatever it is. School is a hard time of life, I think. It was hard for me. Uh, man, I was so uh, inward focused on myself. It was all about me. It was all about uh, maintaining an image or just actually creating an image because I was a mess. And so I sought to just, like, if I, whatever it took to, to get people to like me, whatever it took to get people to accept me, whatever it took in my own ladder that I created in my mind to, to just to, to continue climbing and getting to this place where someday I would be happy, I was just a total wreck. And what this means, the fact that we were made in the image of a triune God, is that school's not about you. Life's not about you. Newsflash. It's not about you, student. And this may, this may apply to you if you're not a student. We're drawn, again, to be self-focused. And the best people that I ever met in school, when I think back, um, back to high school or college or whatever, they were the people that were focused on others. Like, those were the real cool people, the ones that were focused on others. There was this girl um, that I went to high school with, pretty uh, quiet. Like, I mean, not pretty quiet. She was quiet, like the quietest of the quiet. So we just had a handful of interactions. I knew she loved the Lord, um, but to me, it's like that wasn't going to make me cool. So I didn't want people to know that, you know, I was a Jesus person or whatever. I was a mess, right? So th there was this girl, and, and she was just so, always so sweet. But again, I'm like, ah, I don't want to hang out with you because, you know, you're not cool. About a year ago, we have this Good Friday service coming up, by the way, at the high school um, on Good Friday at 6 p.m., community-wide event coming up. Last year at this event, it was awesome. God showed up. It was packed. It was amazing. This girl came up to me. I hadn't seen her in like 19 years. I was like, hey, how's it going? I recognized her, and she was like, hey, Timmy. I was like, what's going on with your life? And she's like, oh, I moved to the Midwest. I have like five kids. You know, this stuff's going on. I'm like, oh, it's so cool. Well, it's good to see you. What are you doing out here? She's like, I'm visiting my mom. And, and she's like, so you're a pastor now? And I'm like, yeah, you know, that conversation. Who would have thought? Here I am in your own hometown. Would not recommend it. Um, no, it's great. It's been great. It's been great. Um, but she's like, yeah, you're a pastor. And immediately I felt shame because I was just like, I was such a jerk to you. And it was like 20 years ago, but still. And she told me something I'll never forget. She's like, she's like, you know, we pray for you all the time. And I was like, what? Like, why? Are you kidding me? Like, who does that? I didn't give her the time of day in high school. She's like, no, we pray for you all the time, me and my family. And I was just like floored, like, what? Why would you do that? And instantly, like in this mind that uh, I promise I haven't thought about it lately, but the coolness of people in my high school, like she just went to the very top. 
after that. I'm like, that? Like, who does that? Who's that other focused, other centered? I'm like, that's the heart of God in somebody. Like, that's such a beautiful thing to go out of your way to pray for someone that, you know, to give your time, to give your energy to someone that doesn't deserve it. Like, man, that's grace. That's the heart of God. That's beautiful. When I think about your family and your friendships and how this three-in-one God um, interacts with all of that, look, you should, Christians, understanding this, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we should be the best siblings, right? The best brothers and sisters, right? Because we're not focused on me, me, me. Trust me, I grew up in a house of four sisters. Right? It's hard. We should make the best siblings. We should make the best parents. We should make the best children. We should make the best grandparents. Why? Because we're not focused on me, 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 and it's all about me, and we're focused on others. And by the way, I haven't mastered this, just in case you're wondering. I don't have some family in here. I'm still figuring it out. This is where we're headed. All right, when your job. I'm so excited for this series uh, starting in two weeks called Every Good Endeavor. It's phenomenal. It's totally going to wreck your view of, of work and just living for the weekend and the grind and all that kind of stuff. We're going to throw it all upside down. But the reality is, is this triune God, the reality of it for our jobs means that we can actually do everything as if unto the Lord. Everything. All your jobs, all the monotony, all the meaninglessness of your work can actually be done for the glory of God. Because when we realize that we actually turn it and we're actually serving others through this, the people that we work with and the products that we make or whatever, we can actually serve people through this and be other-centered and actually gives us newfound purpose in our jobs and in singleness. This is a huge one as well. I was talking to a kid last week who's a young um, man, ladies, I should tell you about it. He's, he's awesome. I kind of want him to stay single for a little bit. But he's just like, yeah, in my singleness, I want to honor God. I want to serve God. I'm like, What? Who does that? He's like, yeah, I see all these young marrieds and they have kids and they have responsibilities. He's like, I don't have that right now. I want to serve God with the time that I have. I'm like, what a beautiful thing to be other-centered, to not be like, I want to take advantage of this time for me and mine. That never ends well. Instead, he's pouring his life out for the people around him. I'm like, what a beautiful thing. That's reflecting the heart of a three-in-one God. And as singles, as we approach, um, we approach relationships, that we don't approach relationships with this idea that this person's going to fulfill this hole in me. Like, I, I need them to fulfill me. It's like, no, we actually approach it with the reality of a Trinitarian three-in-one God with us. What does this person need from me? How can I love them? How can I support them? How can I encourage them? How can I fulfill them? It, it, it rocks your entire approach. And in marriage, I mean, this is huge. There may not be a clearer picture of the Trinity than uh, post-scripture than in a marriage, right? Because you have husband and wife and then God as like this kind of Trinity. And, and, and so like the husband and wife, they build their relationship. They build their marriage and their relationship around God. And it's this beautiful thing, this other-centeredness. And it begins this cycle of just this energizing cycle where we grow together. We encourage each other. Again, centered around God. It's a beautiful thing that um, w when we do this, men, we, we gain the, the ability to um, truly lay, out, lay down our lives like Christ did for the church, right? And, and ladies, when men start to do this, um, you begin to respect and to champion and to support and to love your husbands in a whole new way. It's this beautiful, beautiful thing. I wanna pray for us. Father,
Thank you for today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for modeling so well how we can uh, be other-centered. Lord, and I just pray that you silence the lies of the enemy that would tell us um, that we just take, take, take for ourselves and we will be fulfilled. Instead, replace it with your truth that uh, we were designed to be other-centered. Holy Spirit, I ask that you give us the strength, each and every one of us, to walk that out in our daily life, that we would be other-centered, outward-focused. Jesus, we need your help to do that. Without you, we are nothing. If you're in here today and you're like, I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing when I walked in here this morning, but maybe he's pulling on your heart. And you're like, I would like to enter in to a relationship with Jesus. You can pray this prayer, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, would you forgive me for my sins? I give you control. Would you guide me and would you lead me? I believe in you. Save me. You can pray this and you prayed this prayer this morning. Don't keep it a secret. Let someone know. We also have a, a prayer team in the back in the prayer room. We'd love to pray with you about anything this morning. But God, I ask that you be with us as we go throughout this week. Bless us and encourage us. Help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing.